Hello and welcome to another episode of the Football Funders Podcast. I am Dan. There's no Pete this week, so it's just me and my friend Ryan. Hello. How are you doing? I'm okay. How are you? Yeah, not bad, Tom. So, uh, well, a little bit inside behind the scenes. This has been very rushed tonight. So, I think everyone's had busy weeks. And it's so nice. We just haven't been... Communication hasn't been our strong point, has it? So, before we get on to it, we'll just hit out our sponsors and our agreement partnerships. So, we'll start with Proper Votes Club. They're, of course, a community project for men's mental health. And the main aim is to break the stigma of men's mental health and start talking about it openly. Exercise is a proven way to help people with any sort of mental health issues by releasing endorphins that make you feel good about yourself. Walking is free and makes you a great way to start and get you out in the fresh air. Ryan, you've been on some walks, so do you want to give the people a little heads up of what they can expect? It's exactly how it sounds. You just you find a meet, you rock up at the time the meet says. There's a bunch of other blokes who are all going through similar stuff to yourself. And you meet up, you have a chat, you have a laugh. Sometimes you just need a break or a breather from what's going on. Sometimes you don't even want to talk about what's going on. You just want to listen to somebody else talk nonsense like we all do when we do my local one. So if, if you need a break or if you're stressed out, go for a walk or go to www.properblokesclub.co.uk and check and see if there's a walk near you and you can join in with the rest of the lads. But as we speak, uh, a member called Scott of the Proper Blokes Club, he's doing a GoFundMe page for men's mental health. He is walking 15 marathons in 28 days. I'll put it on the Facebook. We'll tweet out the link to his GoFundMe page. Please head over and donate. I will as well, because that'd be lovely to get Scott up to his goal of... He's not even got a big goal, bless him. He's only on £28 right now, so I'm sure we can bump that up a little bit. And also our other ones, Let Us Talk Mental Health. As I've said, week on week, we are a mental health football team raising money for Mind Charity. We have two games upcoming, uh, the closest one being on the 30th of January at 5pm at the Meridian in Cholton. So if you're in the area, please head down. We're playing TXTXI, uh, which is a charity team for teenage cancer. Uh, the teenage cancer against mental, men's mental health uh, down there. Please come by five or a ticket. There will, of course, be raffles and stuff for prizes, etc., for people to win. So please head down to us, come and watch us, watch some football, and hopefully let us talk win. So we'll move on to the shows. We'll start with, I think, oh, I've just changed my mind on the fly. We're going to start with Everton, Brian, I think, because okay, it okay. kind of happened. It happened Monday, Monday, Sunday evening, Rafa Benitez leaving. Has it been that long? The football club, world moves said, so fast that it really, if you don't keep up with what's going on, it feels like days have passed. When Rafa's took the job, I don't think anyone thought it was going to last. You know, at Rafa at Everton. And then, as rightly said on previous podcasts, the squad is just not, it's not good enough, is it? It's a mix. There are some really good players there and there are some very bang average players there. Solomon Rondon's not going to be top goal scorer in any <laughs> league in the world ever. Andros Townsend, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't rate Andros Townsend. Damari Gray, I do like, rate. Someone like Andros Townsend, he's bad if he's someone you're looking at to come on for 10 minutes and give you a change for a side that are looking at mid-table football. But if you actually want to be Everton's goal, I'm assuming, is to get into that last European spot, be in and around the European conversation, no? I would have thought so because their owner has actually just upped his stake even more. Uh, he's just paid another £100 million. Chess, what's his name? Chance? No, Chance is uh, Mushiri. 
That's it. No, his yeah, first name. But he now holds 94.1% of the club, if the stats I've read are correct. He seems to want to throw money at it. And the if you look at the names of the managers that he's got, you'd have to look a little bit deeper to see why it didn't work. But if you just look at the names, he's taken, I think, Keoman, Ancelotti, Benitez. They're all very big name managers. Maybe not successful managers. Carlo Ancelotti would have been the most successful out of all of them. But he do, it does appear like they want to push it to the Champions League spots, but they don't seem to have a clue of how to get that done. Well, the thing that confuses me is he... The Everton's kind of last... I'll bracket off, say, six years. So since 2016, since the end of the Martinez era, the 44 year when he left Moyes, they can't seem to pick what kind of manager they want. The successful clubs will go for a style. And if a manager comes in and does, maybe he plays the style they like but isn't successful, they move on and they pick someone with a similar style. With Everton, they seem to jump about that they're going for the hype name rather than the manager that fits, if that makes sense. That's exactly what they're doing because they're now so talking, they, if, if the rumours are true, they're now talking to Fabio Cannavaro, the former Italian World Cup winner. And he's only been coaching, I believe, in... Is it Saudi Arabia or yeah, somewhere been... in the Middle East? So he's got no real clout as, as a manager in any league. So I've got because of his name, they're looking at him. Hmm. Exactly. So I'm looking at their previous managers. They've got Ronald Koeman, who we spoke about. The, a, a big name. Maybe big not name. a successful manager, but no. a massive name. I thought we did bang average at Southampton, like every Southampton match does. Then they went through Sam Allardyce. Now, that's a complete change in philosophy and everything, but I got why they did that. It was basically, Sam, keep us up, please. Yep. And as much as Everton fans completely took the piss out of Sam, wanted him out immediately, has the second best record since Roberto Martinez left. (laughs) Well, he will have because he was designed to get results and it wasn't to play football a certain way or to achieve anything but to stay up. And to stay up, you've got to win games. And that's what Allardyce did. Then they brought in Marco Silva. Now, this was an appointment that when they appointed Marco Silva, I had no idea why they did this. Mate, Watford played well, but they didn't win anything. (laughs) Then they relegated. And I thought, I don't think Marco Silva was their first choice, but I can't remember who was. So I can't be too sure on that. But I think they went. And then they moved on from Silva and they appointed Ancelotti. Ancelotti was, I think everyone was surprised that Ancelotti went there. And they obviously backed him to a degree financially because he brought in Digne, Rodriguez, Andre Gomez, uh, Decore, Ben Godfrey. So there was money spent under Carlo Ancelotti to try and improve the team. He lasted just over a year and a half and he walked, right? Yeah, because Real Madrid came calling. So he promptly went straight back to Real Madrid. And then Rafa Benitez. So to me, they never really set on a style of play. And if kind of if you're what you're saying about Cannavaro is true, they are literally just jumping from name to name, and they will never be successful doing that. No, I, I, I said this before because when on this podcast originally, I, I think I gave Benitez until November, and give him credit where credit's due, he managed to last until January. But I, I mean, it, it's a complete shower it's an absolute shit show there's there's no two words about it that 
the owner has invested, if the figures I've seen is correct, half a billion pounds in Everton since he's taken over. They've gone through, like you said, different managers with different styles, no real cohesion. They've signed a director of football to stop that and then taken, my understanding is they took all the power away from Marcel Brand so he couldn't actually do the job he was employed to do because the owner, who bizarrely is not on the board, which yes. is even weirder for me, the, the <laughs> owner of the club is not on his club. own board. Uh, but apparently all the stuff that has been ratified by the Baldwin director of football has then been cancelled by the owner. And then they gave Benitez complete control and they sacked Marcel Brands, the director of football, and a bunch of other people. And then they sacked Rafa Benitez the following in a, in a matter of days. So well, it's so very clear that whoever is in charge, because at this point I don't have a clue, whoever's in charge doesn't have a clue themselves. Well, there was obviously that rumour, as you rightly said, that Rafa was now in full charge and everyone else been kicked off. But then someone had made the El Ghazi sign in, even though Benitez had turned it down. Honestly, it's baffling. I don't know why anyone would want to sign El Ghazi anyway. I don't rate him personally, exactly. but there you go. If I'm Everton, I'm picking a manager that I'm going to put time into, that I'm going to let build a tip. Not one, because every one of these managers I'm looking at, they have one, one and a half years. The squad is the same. This squad is more the same squad you had five years ago under probably three managers back. A lot of Marco Silva's team are still at Everton. I think some of it goes all the way back to Moyes because you've got Seamus Coleman who was signed under David Moyes. So there's still a mismatch of everybody, really, from every single manager they've got. There's absolutely no cohesion at Everton at all. My opinion, and this is just from me playing football manager because, ironically, I'm currently managing Everton at the moment, is to think what they need to do is not even entertain the director of football method and just pick a manager and spoiler alert I think it should be Duncan Ferguson I think they should stick with him they should invest in him and let him control the club that doesn't mean he can't employ technical directors to run around and do stuff that can take some of the weight off of him like for example who gets to go on coaching courses and you've got things nowadays like loan managers where you just turn around to the loan manager and say, right, that player I want out on loan, find him the best loan for me and managers don't have to do it. There's lots of ways that managers can have duties taken away from them while still being the main focus of the club. So the most important thing is that Duncan Ferguson gets to pick that man or at least give him a say in who that man is because if he has a bad relationship with that technical director that loan manager finished it's finished already before you start it well no because it depends if it's just like a technical director or a loan manager then ultimately they answer to the first team manager because they're there to aid them the issue is with directors of football is directors of football don't answer to the manager the manager answers to the director of football who then answers Mm. to the board or the owner so you have got Essentially, too many Chiefs, not enough Indians. For me personally, we saw it with Alex Ferguson, who's the most successful. We saw it under Arsene Wenger as well at Arsenal, where they had a great deal of success. The main person, the main vision from that club was the manager. And I think that's the way it should be. Directors of football 
can be useful, but only if they answer to the manager and not the other way around. If the manager says to the director of football, right, I need you to take care of this. I need you to take care of that. Go and get on with it. Then that's fine. But if the director of football is saying, right, well, this is the direction of football we're going. I'm now going to pick a manager that I think will get us there. And then the manager got, got her answer to the director of football. The director of football is picking the philosophy and direction of the club that the owner is, wants. So who's actually in charge of directing the club? Yeah. Good. But that's the problem now. It's all head coaches. That's why I said there's so many head coaches. Don't it? Again, I talk about Charlton a lot because obviously I'm a Charlton fan, but Charlton, we have this very good dynamic that's been in... But in I won't say who put it in place because if any Charlton fans listen to me, I'll get lynched in the co- in comments. We have Steve Gallen, who's our... I mean, his role has changed so many times. The poor, But effectively, he is a director of football, but answers to the manager. He is chief scout slash director of football. I think he actually is our director of football, but does the, is also part of the scouting team. And what happened under Boria and currently under Jacko and under Adkins in the summer is Jacko and... Everyone will sit down, say, right, this is what we want. Steve, off you go. Do the deals and I'll see him in training. And then it leaves Jacko can coach. He can manage the team. He's given his list. It's up to Steve Gallon to go and do it. That, For me, that's how you, if you're going to have one, that's how you use it. He answers to the coach. If he's answered to people above, your manager is pointless. He's only there to be on the side. And he's the, well, what was it you said before? You made a comment years ago, uh, not years ago, early on in the podcast about how you thought Southgate was a puppet. That's the one. Yep. He's a puppet, a puppet on the on the sideline. But um, going back to Everton. Sorry, just one Everton... quickly. While we're talking about dynamics of football clubs, I would be really interested to find out what an assistant manager's role now is with head coaches coming in. Because essentially, if you've got a head coach, all they've got to do is train the players and pick the team. Whereas Alex Ferguson, for example, used to delegate responsibilities to his assistant manager so that he could take care of things like contracts and players' loans and and whatnot. So it would be interesting to see what assistant managers do now because effectively, from the outside looking in, it looks like they're just additional coaches on the training field. So, again, Charlton-based because of the stuff I watch, but there was an interview done with Johnny Jackson when he was assistant under... I think it might have just been Adkins last year on um, on a mental health podcast, ironically. And one of the questions was, what's your role as assistant manager? And he said it's a, it's changed even in the short time that he's done it. He said under Boya, he was an assistant manager, effectively. And was Boya would give him tasks. And as you said, you would go out and do it. But he said, where under Adkins, he was more a middleman between the players. So he did the coaching. But as you said, I think with the head coach thing, then, you know, the coaching now becomes the head coach, the manager. So he said he is being assistant manager in his world is a lot about being the middleman that takes the manager's opinions, takes the players' opinions and tries to mesh them into a, you know, a, a plan and then he can take it to the players and the managers. So I think it's something that we'll never know because we haven't got eyes on it. But um, from what I've got from that interview, it's just, it's, they're more just middlemen like glue now between the players and the first team rather than, as you said, Here's how I want you to coach the players. Go and do it. Exactly. And it was just like even things like reports, they used to come from the assistant manager, but now you've got performance analysts and stuff like that. 
so it is a case of I'm really starting to feel like I understand the idea of employing all these different peoples and make taking advantage of, of modern technology and whatnot. But it is genuinely starting to feel like there are too many cook and not enough waiters, essentially. The more people that are employed, in my opinion, the more of a mess it's become. So I think Everton need to select a guy and stick with his vision. The Rafa Benitez one, it was we discussed it on this podcast for so long. Previous Liverpool manager said some bad stuff about Everton back in the day. It was never going to work, never going to be successful. And I would love to have known what Mashiri was smoking when he appointed him. Yeah. And I think, listen, you said it already and I completely agree. This job has to go to Duncan Ferguson. Give it to Duncan Ferguson and say to Duncan, this is yours. Don't give him six months and say you're two here to the end of the summer. Give him two, three years and say this is yours. What happens is you. Because right now, Everton are 16th in the league table. They're five points from the drop. They have Villa, Brentford and Newcastle as the next three games. Now, as much as I can sit here and tell you there is a fair chance they win them all because they might. But there's also genuinely a chance that Everton win none of them. And if they lose to Aston Villa, which way are things going, they probably will. If they lose to Newcastle, which is unlikely, but you never know, then then they have Man City, Tottenham and Wolves. They could easily find themselves in a scrap. And the kind of person you want is someone that knows the club, has been around the players. When Duncan Ferguson has taken the job before on caretaker job, he's done well. He's done okay. He's done better than the manager that he took over from. At what point you've got to now give him... Because who else is... We spoke about Frank Lampard before, and I think if I'm correct, it was me and you that disagreed on Lampard. I wouldn't give Lampard a Premier League job. And I definitely wouldn't give him the Everton job. Wayne Rooney... I mean, I could see why. Done well at Derby, given what he's given. But I still think it's too early. The Cannavaro one is... Don't get me started. And Martinez, you've been there. Do you want to go back? So I'll hand over to you and you put your final thoughts on about Everton, I guess. I would go with Duncan Ferguson. Unfortunately, Duncan Ferguson has announced that while he does want to manage Everton permanently one day, he doesn't feel he's experienced enough for it yet. I would disagree with him. I Like you, he's done the job before. He's been a success when he's done it. Obviously, it was only a limited period of time, but the players bought into what he was doing. The fans bought into what he was doing. And he was the one who brought back 4-4-2 in the days of 4-2-3-1. And it was still mm-hmm. relatively successful. In terms of the fixtures they've got ahead, I can't see them beating Villa, whether they're on form or not on form. Newcastle, I would expect them to win just quality on quality terms. Everton's quality of player is far higher. But I personally, if it was me, I would give... Duncan Ferguson the job till the end of the season and say, right, you keep us up. And if you get us even close to 10th, I will give you the job permanently if you want it. Wayne Rooney, I don't think should be given the job. I'm going to stick my neck out here. You may disagree with me. I'm sure Pete probably would as well. Everybody's saying how fantastic a job Wayne Rooney's doing. And from the outside, that's how it looks. But the reality is those Derby players and that, that whole Derby setup right now has got no pressure on it to achieve anything. So they can go out on that pitch. They can play with complete freedom, no worry, no stress, because everybody's going to look at them and say, right, 
you've had 21 points deducted. You're going down no matter what you do. So they can go out there and don't get me wrong. It looks like Rain Rooney is doing a great job because the players are playing for him. They're getting results. People are marvelling at it. But at the end of the day, those results might not be the same if they had a bit more pressure on them to perform, is, is my argument. Roberto Martinez, what, they didn't like him at Everton before. You might as well re-employ Rafa Benitez because if you bring Roberto Martinez back, you're going to have the same reaction from the fans that you got when you appointed Rafa Benitez. There is absolutely no point. Frank Lampard has already openly said, I want another job, but I don't have to take another job if I don't want to. That raises alarm bells for me personally. I understand where he's coming from. He's simply just saying, I'm fortunate enough to have earned a lot of money in my career, so I don't have to take a job if I don't want to. It's not like I need the money. However, you should be chomping at the bit to get a job. And if the Everton job comes along, he should be on his hands and knees in front of Mashiri going, please give me the job, please give me the job. So, yeah, I wouldn't give the job to Lampard. I think they're going to need to look in division lower. I don't know. You're, you're more familiar with managers in the lower leagues than I am. But I can't see another higher profile manager being successful. Cannavaro, as we've already said, has got no experience. Martinez, he's not really going to come back to do it because he's in a World Cup year and he's going to want to be with Belgium. And then you're looking at people who you've got a Lampard, maybe a Thierry Henry, who's an assistant manager with Belgium, who's managed before and wants to manage in the Premier League. But that doesn't sit well with me. Sean Dyche has been linked. That would fit nicely into my theory of, of him leaving Burnley in 2022. However, I also think Sean Dyche is now a busted flush. People judge me for that if they want to, but I think... That, I, don't, I also think that that would cause... I mean, I don't think there's anything that will please Everton fans. They moan about everything, but they'd kick off at that. And my suggestion, they'd kick off at too. I'd say Graham Potter, because I'd be interested to see what he could do with a little bit more backing, because I think he's done well at Brighton. They play nice football when they... Just not brilliant, and they have never had the players. But again, I don't think that's a pretty one. Everton fans would probably say that's not something they're interested in. Then you've got to ask the question would Graham Potter want the Everton job? Yes, potentially there's going to be more money to spend, but is he going to have the same autonomy that he's got at Brighton? Because my understanding is, much like we've just discussed, it's Potter's way or the highway at that mm. club, and everybody works for Potter and not the other way around. So is he going to want to give that stability up for the mess that is Everton? Mm, that's that's the problem. And actually, you may just made a point about the managers in the championship, maybe looking at a league down. So I've got up a list of championship managers. And honestly, there's one I'd be interested to see managing the Premier League again because I felt like he was hard done by at Fulham. And this isn't people, someone will say, might say someone, someone listening to this will probably have a go, mate. So it's being biased. If you know me, I hate Scott Parker, but I'd be interested to see him having a job where he's not chucked shit that the again the director of football at Fulham decided to sign at him when he got to the Premier League. Apart from that, the top of the championship is Tony Mowbray at Blackburn. That's nope. never going to happen. West Brom is Valerian Ishmael. Did fantastic things last season with Barnsley, but relatively unknown at 
a high level, especially in England. Sheffield United obviously got Paul Heckingbottom. Sheffield United fans weren't even happy about that, so no one else would be. There's just no one. Nathan Jones at Luton, but again, Everton aren't looking for that possible manager. Either. As much as we sit here saying they should stick to someone and Duncan Ferguson, I'm completely resigned to the fact that they will probably end up going after someone like Nico Kovac or Paolo Fonseca, who hasn't been mess- mentioned yet, but I'm sure he gets mentioned with every other fucking job that exists, so he'll get mentioned with this one too. We certainly did in the summer, but I think they should be looking to try and find the next David Moyes, if I'm honest. If they're not going to go with Duncan Ferguson, then I think they need to find someone like David Moyes. Ironically, the manager they need right now is David Moyes. David Moyes. But he's not leaving West Ham to go back to Everton. He's made at West Ham. They need to, They just first of all, they need a squad clear out. Whoever the new manager is, whoever it is, you need to clear that squad completely and rebuild it because Everton is a mess from head to toe. I'd also, if they're going to employ someone to be a director of football, I would suggest avoiding the foreign names and go with someone like uh, Weber at Norwich or see, I'm not sure where Dan Ashworth is now. I think he might be part of the Red Bull He was at Cartel for a while, wasn't he? Yeah, but if they can get someone like Dan Ashworth... No, is he the one that I read recently? I'm sure Everton were linked to him recently. I'm sure I've read something, I want to say yesterday, that Everton and Newcastle were fighting over him. If I were them, I would do move heaven and earth because he's a shrewd operator. He's shown with several clubs. I remember he's him being at West Brom. He also did a very good job while he was working for England. If they want to bring some structure, some stability to the club, I'd start with Dan Ashworth. I think he'd do a very good job. Speaking of Wayne Rooney, we did have a question today, Ryan. Oh, interesting. From Nanny Annie on Twitter. I'm not sure who it is, but thank you for emailing us. She uh, asked us a question. It says, "What uh, can you speak about the ineptness of the AFL? I have done many times. So just go back and find that. <laughs> what is happening at Derby County at the moment? whether they should be penalised again and if Middlesbrough and Wickham's claims are likely to be upheld. So just to run down quickly what happened, Derby back in 2018 were done for... Wow, Ryan, can you remember the exact wording? Right, okay. It was financial sustainability and... Profitability. Yeah. Which effectively we worked out from kind of researching was they'd sold their ground to their owner for an inflated price. Therefore, basically, the money that they were giving to the EFL as their profits, therefore being allowed to spend with bunch of fair play, etc., was ballooned higher than what it should have been. Sorry, just to quickly butt in, for anyone who's arguing right now, listening to this and thinking... Didn't Manchester City do the same thing? Yes, they did. And they got away with it because they were in the Premier League and not the EFL. Sorry, Dan, carry on. Yes. So, yeah, that's a piss. I still think they should all be under one roof or whatever. Um, That's that's maybe a subject for another day. Well, we'll discuss that in a minute because I've got views on that. So we'll go on that in a second. Derby, obviously, were given a... I don't know what nine-point deduction for that. No, that's completely wrong. I think it was a 12-point deduction when they got an additional nine to take it up to 21. Yes. So they're in the 12 from that. Then they were put into nine for administration 
because obviously now they've basically the EFL found out what they were doing, stopped it, and now Derby have no money. I mean, the main problem with this is something that keeps happening with the EFL is whatever you think, whether you and I'm going to take this a little bit off topic, whatever you think of the situation at Derby, whether what you think they did was right, wrong, you know, twisting the rules, whatever you want to say, the fact that the EFL have taken this is coming on to be four years and we're still talking about it shows how inept the EFL are. How four years later have you still not dealt with this? It's not the first time it's happened as well. And it's got so far down the line that other clubs are now suing, which is another part of this question. And me and Dan did research this to try and make some sort of sense out of it. Wickham Wanderers and Middlesbrough Football Club have started legal proceedings against Derby claiming the financial irregularities that they were found guilty of gave them advantage in, is it the 18-19 season? So Middlesbrough is 18-19, Wickham is last season. So basically, from my understanding, having read everything, and I don't know about you, Dan, their legal complaint is basically, we want compensation because had they not had that money, then we wouldn't have gone down or we wouldn't have missed out on a playoff spot. So this is, this is where it differs. So that's Middlesbrough's argument. Wickham's is slightly different. So Wickham, I'll give your opinion on Middlesbrough's first and then we'll get on to Wickham's because I'm not sure you're aware of Wickham's full argument. So we'll discuss Middlesbrough's first. I don't really, I'm not sure if they're, I think they're suing them for £20 million Middlesbrough because that's the money they would have got from possibly being promoted if they're in the playoff. Rumoured to go up above 40, but yep. Um, I, listen, I don't, I don't think Middlesbrough have got a hope in hell, even if it goes to court. Because what you're going to offer that you had a chance to get in the playoffs and you just had to win three games of football. It's not like you definitely missed out on promotion because of it. This, for me, is one of the more bizarre arguments that's been coming up in football lately. Just to go slightly off-piste, but sort of on the same thing, there's been an argument recently that players signed in the January transfer window shouldn't be allowed to play in rearranged COVID fixtures. So you're essentially asking people not to pick players that, that they've got because they weren't there at the time the game was cancelled. This is the kind of nonsense that's coming into football. And it's similar with Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough are basically arguing because they had a bit more money and could afford to buy a few more players, even though they shouldn't have had that money because it was an overinflated price. We didn't go up. but Yeah, which is just not true. <laughs> if you'd won your games, Middlesbrough, you would have gone up it's that simple you would have finished ahead of Derby so this is the main difference as, as you just rightly said for me Middlesbrough you're fighting a losing battle sour, sour grapes I do understand it. it it must not be nice knowing that you could have done something but Wickham's I can sympathise with because Cholton had a similar situation with a different side so Wickham's argument is Derby were found guilty of this midway through last season so I think it was about March last season that they were found guilty of the breaching final regulations. Wickham were relegated on the last day on goal difference. Derby stayed up over Wickham on goal difference. The EFL in March decided that they weren't going to take points off them last season. They were going to do it this season. Wickham were arguing, saying, well, hang on, take them out right now. We're playing the season now that that you've investigated. Take it off them now. The EFL said, no, we're doing it next year. 
So Wickham then went down because Derby didn't lose their points. And Wickham are arguing that if... Wickham's one almost sounds like it should be aimed at the EFL rather than Derby. But they're... Wickham are saying if you had taken the points off straight away, we'd have stayed up effectively. I think you've just nailed that one. It's aimed at the wrong yeah. people. If they want to sue anyone, sue the EFL for not doing their jobs properly. But the problem that's making this even worse is these potential lawsuits are scaring off potential buyers to get Derby County out of administration. And now Derby are days away from... Well, this is where it gets even more complicated because they do have four bidders lined up. Someone, an American firm, has made a bid today. I think it's the Carlisle Group or something. They've bid, I think it's £28 million for Derby to get them out of administration. But most of the people that are interested don't want to purchase Derby and clear off the mammoth debts that Derby have and deal with any potential lawsuits. But the problem gets even worse because the administrator that was appointed to take care of Derby County doesn't have secured funds to run Derby. Mm, They're out of money. Then they have the money, but it's promises of money from here, there and everywhere. It's not a secured financial package to run Derby until they can find a buyer. There is now pressure on the EFL to take further action against Derby because they're in breach of EFL rules because they haven't necessarily got the guaranteed finances in place to last until the end of the season. However, that's not actually Derby's fault. That would be the fault of whoever appointed the administrator, which I think, if I'm wrong, is done by the EFL. Yeah, but this is all back to what the first question the lady asks, which is, is the EFL inept? Yes. <laughs> it's been completely inept for a long yes. time. We've talked on this podcast in the past about how clubs have gone to the wall, how a football... I think uh, Berry founded the Football League. Uh, they were founding members of the Football League, if I yeah. remember rightly. They went completely bankrupt. We saw it with Rangers in Scotland. It's not a necessarily an EFL-only thing, but the EFL is completely useless. The fit and proper persons test or whatever the equivalent is in the EFL has proved a disaster. Ask Charlton fans about Roman Duchelet. They'll, they'll tell you everything about what a complete nightmare that was and how the guy essentially walked in, stripped every asset he could from the club and left it with has almost it now, nothing. Bastard. So has parts of it now. Is the EFL completely inept? The simple answer to your question is yes. The EFL going back, I could list off clubs. You think there's been, I mean, the Portsmouth one can partially be blamed on Portsmouth blowing their load in the Premier League and not managing correctly. But Cholton's, I mean, Cholton's is literally down to them just not doing their research on Roland, on even Matt Southall, who'd already, as you rightly just said, had just put Berry in the shit. He was literally part of the team that just put Berry in the shit. And then they saw him come in for Cholton and went, yeah, it's fine. He passed the fit and proper test. So he's just watched a club liquidate because of his actions and you're going to give him another club. What the fuck is your fit and proper test? And basically the fit and proper test, for people that don't know, is do you have the money to run this club successfully? That's it. It's not a background check. It's not 
what do your businesses, how are your businesses ran, blah, blah, blah. It's do you have the, can you show me that you have the funds to keep this club going? If you have the, doesn't mean you're going to use it, but you've got Blackpool, Bolton, Blackburn, Leighton Orient, Hull, Leeds, Birmingham, Rotherham, Luton, Bournemouth, as you said, Berry, Darlington, Hereford, all these clubs that the EFL had a chance to save, could have done something to save, even if it was just as simple as, they would never do it, but a club like Berry, who needed a million pounds to stay in the, uh, to stay a football club, a million pound, that's nothing to the EFL. You could give that to them. You could lend it to them. Whatever you wanted to do, it could have been done. There's so much stuff that you, their laws, and they keep saying, oh, they hired an independent, was it an independent, what's the word I'm looking for, to like reviewist, reviewer? Yeah, an independent adjudicator, usually. The person they hired had just had just left a, a job at the EFL. So the person that was independent reviewing it was probably the person that did half the shit that they're reviewing. Yep. And this also ties into what we mentioned a minute ago, and wanted to talk about, which is why isn't everything under the same umbrella following the same rules? Because in essence, if you've got a football pyramid, it should all be under one governing body. And in essence, it's supposed to be, but it's not. Because this is something that's always baffled me. And please bear with me while I say this. If I'm a Manchester United player, I play for Manchester United in the Premier League, right? So my contract is with the club. And my registration is with the club. And then they submit it to the Premier League so that I can play in that league. But if I break disciplinary rules, I don't get fined by my club. I don't get fined by the Premier League. I get fined by the FA. How does that work? Because I don't work for the FA. I work for Manchester United. Manchester United play in the Premier League. So why am I dealing with the FA full stop? If the FA are in charge of football overall, there should be no Premier League board. There should be no EFL board. It should be FA done, in my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, because as you rightly said, everything you just said is completely right. But the thing that gets me is the difference in rules. So you go from the Championship where, as we've just said, Derby couldn't do it, but you go to the Premier League, Man City can, it's fine. So Man City are making profit while Derby are getting put in shit for it. And I'm not here saying it's right or wrong. I personally, it's a way of putting money in the club. Technically not illegal outside of football. So I'm whatever. But it's different rules and it's stupid rules. Like even lower down the pyramid. So if you're in the conference, for example, who was it the other year? Bromley. Bromley were in the playoffs for League Two. If they'd have won the playoffs, they wouldn't have been allowed to go up. They wouldn't have been allowed in League Two. You know why? Because their stadium wouldn't match. Their pitch is only 65% synthetic. Yep. I don't give a shit. If they've won promotion because they've gone around beating teams like fucking up north and then going to Wembley and winning a game, I don't care what their pitch is made of. They deserve to be in. Give them to put them in the league. And you just put up the one the other one that gets on my nerves after their stadium's not got seats. I don't care. Do not care. I, I don't see the thing. problem. Yeah, if, if they've not got seats in that stadium, then you just say, right, you can't open that stand until yeah. you put seats in it. It's that simple. Yeah. You don't block someone from going in, into the you league. You can't and... block players from because those players have worked hard and gained promotion. They have a right to be in that league above. 
And this is the other thing that confuses me even more. It's just like back in the day, we're going back, must be about 10, 15 years now. Clubs were allowed to have paid affiliations with other clubs from around the world. For example, I think there was one time where Man United had an agreement with Berry, and Man United used to pay a set fee to Berry every year so we could send some of our kids there on loan so that they would get first-team football. For whatever reason, the EFL decided we're not doing that anymore and we're going to restrict the number of loans that you can have. So basically, they stopped Berry from making money, which essentially could have kept them afloat because if they'd had that money coming in from Man United from the several years after... I think Man United were paying probably something like 250 grand a year or something to Berry just so that we could send a couple of kids down there. If Berry had that money, they wouldn't have had to find too much more when they got into trouble. Mm-hmm. And then they would have also had players and they would have had less finances because Man United would have been playing the wages for these kids. So that would have saved Berry some even more money. But they're not allowed to do that anymore either. No. So clubs are finding a way. A way to work around this. Charlton had one abroad with it was a, a hold me the name correct. German L Burshot, they were called, I think. Yeah. They're now just called Burshot because they re they rebranded. Another but, one of Romans clubs, wasn't it? No, this was before. This was when we were in the Premier League. Then under Roland, we had standard Liège and Man United had loads because I remember us having Royal Antwerp as well. We spent a bunch of our kids over there. We had yeah, Chelsea had Vitesse and they're in the Premier League, so they still have. But um, Chelsea have a deal with Wimbledon, don't they? Which they've, which has kind of got round the uh, got round the affiliation problem. So when Chelsea took Plough Lane over, they made an agreement that they effectively Wimbledon were paying for the stadium, and Chelsea were giving them the money back. So basically, Chelsea were letting Wimbledon play there rent free, but were giving them rent money. Yep. So therefore, Wimbledon were just getting money from Chelsea, basically, for the sake of. Well, nothing because they didn't even own. They didn't even own not Plough Lane. Where were they? Kings Meadow, which is now Chelsea's ladies and under twenty three ground. Now that uh, Wimbledon have moved, so I don't know if it's still in place anymore. Because obviously now Wimbledon are back home, so I don't know if the things are the same there anymore. But obviously that was a, a thing of the past. But yeah, absolutely right. It, it should be under one umbrella. If it's not under one umbrella, you get as I said that each league make their own rules, and then it's difficult to make the step and. Even stupid stuff like this VAR in the FA Cup, for instance, where it's only used in the Premier League, not any of it. If if, you, if I'm watching, if Ch- so Charlton versus Norwich, which was an actual game, and there's nothing wrong with Norwich's goal. I'm just saying, say Norwich's goal is debatable. Because it's at the Valley, it can't be debated. If it was at Carrow Road, it could be debated. One rule for, if you're going to be in the same pyramid, as you put it, then it should be one rule for all. Don't have a, oh, we have this because everyone bangs on, oh, we have a great pyramid from the Premier League down to, say, Conference South. But there's three different blocks because you've got the Premier League, the Football League, and um, I can't remember what the the first non-league block is called, but the Conference North, South, and the Conference Premier are all their own before you go into the lower systems, which is then owned by the FA. If it's not owned by one, you are going to get all these different rules and there are so many issues. And it, it, it's just... English football is a bit of a mess behind the doors. 
It is. It's, it's complete chaos. And I mean, the other thing is, is I understand why some of these rules come in because they wanted clubs to make themselves sustainable. But you can't, in a business with so much money in it, not all businesses can be self-sustainable. Premier League clubs have tried it for years and there's only very few that have succeeded. To be honest, the Premier League's not much better because if you look at, they allowed Burnley to be taken over recently and they came in and basically <laughs> the owners of Burnley came in and did what the Glazers did at Man United, which was remortgage the club to buy the club. And then that's how the club was funded and paid for. But the problem is, is Burnley don't have anywhere near the turnover that Man United do. So it can't substantiate its own debt and it can't generate funds for players and now you're seeing where Burnley are. So even in the Premier League level, the Premier League are just as incompetent as the EFL to, to a large account. I mean, just look at some of the stuff that Man City have got away with and they've taken them to court and, and they've taken UEFA to court to get stuff overturned for financial fair play. Financial fair play from top to bottom is a joke. League rules are a joke. And like Dan's just said, and I've also said, Everything needs to be under one one banner, one governing body. They make the rules for the, from the, from the top down. End of end of conversation for me. Would you remember that? Oh, what was it the other year? Um, Man City did something. Oh, it's gone now. I can't remember what it was. But Man City were kind of got a slap on the wrist for doing something that a club towards the bottom of the table were deducted points for like and I feel like it was last season but I can't remember what it was. But I always think like you know the West Ham situation with Mascherano and Tevez. Yeah. If that's a football league club, that club is dead. That club is sunk. If that was on if you put what happened to West Ham with those two players into a EFL club, the EFL they will drop hard sanctions on them and that club is relegated. I think West Ham did get sanctioned, didn't they? Yeah, but they it wasn't too severe. It was more financial than... Than points picks. deductions. Yeah, because that's the... Sheffield United sued them and won, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, and won, yeah. I'm pretty sure they were fined big money and obviously then there was the rule put in that you can't sign players with third, third party. party. And, you know, well, the, that was the rule that they breached. That's why Sheffield United won their court case because that the Premier League essentially allowed Tevez and Mascherano to play for West Ham when they weren't eligible to do so. Quite know how they got the money out of West Ham instead of out of the Premier League, but there you go, because the Premier League breached their own freaking rules. But yeah, I think they got about £26 million out of West Ham just, just for that. But I think, unfortunately, that also set a dangerous precedent, and it's the precedent we're seeing now going back to the topic that we were actually meant to be discussing because we've gone off on a tangent. Um, 30 million, by the way, Sheffield United won. Oh, was it? Wow. Um, but this is what's led to Middlesbrough and Wickham now potentially suing Derby County for financial irregularities because Sheffield United did it back in the day and they won. And that's the thing. Now, as we said, we both kind of had our opinion on whether they would win. But... This is the thing, and Man City have done it, as you rightly said, so many times now, that you, you can actually, if you get a judgment that you don't like from the Premier League, from the EFL, you can take it to the court of, is it arbitration? Yeah, court of arbitration for sport. You take it there, and 
nine times out of ten, if you've got the right lawyers, the right people, it'll get overturned. But yeah, it's a shame because again, it's one of those things that we've discussed many times. As a as a pure football fan who just wants to watch football, this stuff just gets on my nerves because you put on Sky Sports or you put on whatever, and I want to watch football. You know, I want to see football. I don't want the headlines. I don't. I don't want EastEnders in football. I want to watch EastEnders in football. I'll watch BBC One. The problem. The problem is, is it's going to sound rather ironic, but there's a song out there called "Mo Money, Mo Problems." Yeah. And this is what happens because when the Premier League was in its infancy and there wasn't too much money around, you saw... notorious big. Yes. B.I.G. <laughs> and Puff Daddy and everybody else. There wasn't that much money going around in the end of the Premier League, although in relative terms, it looked like it at the time compared to now, it's peanuts. But the more money you've got, the more problems it can create. And that's what we're seeing now because Portsmouth is the prime example. They spent so much money that they thought they had, but they couldn't make that money back because their ground wasn't big enough because that's what essentially screwed them over because they only had, I think, their ground... 22,000 or that. It's smaller than I, the Valley. I think it was even smaller than that. I think it was about 18,000, 19,000. Been there. Lovely. They, they couldn't make money. They could spend it, but they couldn't make it. So, more money, more problems. So, just to sum up overall quickly for... Our lovely person on Twitter, Derby diddled their books. Wickham and Middlesbrough think that that cost them promotion and relegation in various seasons. New owners at Derby don't want to buy Derby because they don't want to deal with any pending lawsuit that may happen. Well, is happening now. And so Derby can't get new owners right now. And it's all the EFL's fault. So there you go. So... I've got a question now, and it's I'm going to go on a little bit of well. I've gone on my rant already, but this is going to it's a, it's a different different tangent on a rant I've already made, and it's, it links me to a question. I'll ask the question, then I'll explain why I'm asking it, and then I'll let you answer it. So I'm going to ask a question about do Sky Sports News, BT, BBC, etc., do they play a part in? The, the way that the EFL and the Premier League make decisions and do things because, and this is something that bugged the crap out of me, when Berry went bust, when, if you're not aware, when Berry went bust, Bolton had the same deadline. They were both, what, pick a date, I can't remember the exact date, said the 26th of May at five o'clock was the, the time that the club had to be sold by. And, both Berry and Bolton were there. They built it up. And Sky Sports had a countdown clock on the top of their screen for a week. Deadline day for Berry and Bolton. That's disgusting. <laughs> I thought that's disgusting. And they built it up and they had reporters outside the ground and they were talking about, well, if Berry do, well, if Bolton go bust. And it was like, you do realise, just ignore, ignore the fact that there are footballers losing their jobs. There are people, and I'm one of them, without football, I don't know where I'd be today. Because football helps my mental health, which obviously this, we've talked a lot about on this podcast. It's helped me deal with a lot of incidents. And there are people like that, that without football, they might not be here. And then I'm not saying that's me, but I'm saying there will be people around that have that opinion. You, you were literally 
building up and making a saga out of this, the problems, and rather than focusing on why there was a problem, rather than saying this is what the, the Berry owner's doing, this is what the EFL have failed to do, this is what the EFL and the Berry owner have failed to do, they were too busy closing down, talking, building down to the fact that this club's going to go bust. Fans are going to lose their club. Fans are going to lose those relationships that they have with, you know, some kids, some people that used to go with their grandparents or their parents that they've lost. The thing that they cherish that one day that someone say, for example, Ryan, say your people of your age that want to take their kid to a game. They can't do that because they've lost their club because Sky Sports got a lovely countdown clock going on reminding them that in six hours, that thing that they've cherished and have relationships with their parents and their grandparents and their friends, that's going to disappear. And I've watched that and I thought, you know what, you're probably here by not sitting here and talking about why the EFL fucked up, why the Berry owners fucked up, and instead you're talking about how many hours these people have got left to support their club. You're not doing any danger to the EFL. You're not telling the truth. The EFL can get away with it with Scott Tree on TV. Is it a financial thing? There is a direct and an indirect influence. The direct influence, as you've just said, is financial because the money bleeds from the TV packages. First off, let me say that that countdown clock was absolutely disgusting. It was. And you just talked about football players losing their jobs. Never mind the bloody football players. What about the tea lady? What about the turnstile operators, the stewards? People working in the club shop, people who genuinely rely on this money to put food on the table, because at whatever level, footballers earn a much better wage than people in people working in the club shop, people working on the turnstiles, the tea lady. She's earning about 180 quid a bloody month from doing that job. So that countdown was just like Sky Sports, really, it's completely classless. And me and you have talked about how far Sky Sports have fallen in the past and how they're essentially just gossip columnists until something's confirmed nowadays. So there is a direct correlation with the the TV money and obviously not as much now because it's split between different packages. You've got foreign TV rights, you've got BT Sport, BN Sport, you've got so many different it's not all coming from Sky anymore like it used to. But there is also a highly indirect. And as you've also just shown by talking about the countdown clock, it's the sens- sensationalism that they want to cover. Negative press creates negative thought process. So it also breeds bias. Uh, for example, the difference, as you pointed out, between Berry and Bolton. Bolton had more pedigree than Berry did, even though Berry were one of the founding members. Bolton had been in the Premier League for several years. They'd had parachute payments keeping them afloat for quite a few years. So they were looked at differently. Oh, little Berry, they can go out. That's fine. They're, they're, they're never going to make any money. They're not, they've got nothing to trade on, essentially. The, the worst thing was they were treated so differently by Sky Sports. Yeah. Like, I know, obviously, you couldn't see much of the coverage because you, you don't have Sky Sports on your box. But for people that, that are completely out of the loop as well, it was treated as if it was poor Bolton, they're going to lose their history. Oh, and by the way, Berry are going to. How can I get that Bolton have this Premier League history? And But Bolton's was at least, you know, they spent money in the Premier League, came down and couldn't adjust the books. For Berry, 
as I said, it was such a little amount that they were in debt. Bolton's debt was, I think, hundreds and hundreds of million pounds. Berry's was so little that it could have been overturned so easily. So the fact that it was built up as poor Bolton this, poor Bolton that. And listen, I've got nothing against Bolton Wanderers. You know, what happened is it's a sad day for their fans, but at the end of the day, this Bolton's was made out of Bolton being in the Premier League and spending money and then had additional problems to float the football club. And I think they were £200 million in debt or something like that. Berry were £1 million in debt. And it was built as if poor Bolton, poor Bolton this, poor Bolton that. Oh, and Berry are here too. It was actually poor Berry. Poor, as Ryan said, poor the tea lady at Berry who relies on this little club, the kind of little engine that could to keep going instead of this Bolton, which, I mean, even now in League One, they're still a massive football club. If you compare Bolton and the way that Bolton do things and the, their staffing numbers, I don't mean club, I mean all round as Bolton Wanderers, and compare them to the majority of teams in this division, if I went up to Accrington Stanley and compared it to Bolton's, Bolton's are massively better than every, every meaning of the word. Poor Berry were just left to suffer. And now all the Berry fans have, because the EFL didn't want to step in, they gave Berry Football Club to a man who clearly had no interest in the club. Couldn't, didn't even want to put a pound in for the club. And now Berry, all Berry have, all Berry fans have now. I mean, they have their Phoenix club, but all they have to look at is an empty gig lane. And it's heartbreaking for those Berry fans. Watching that on the TV was disgusting. They've got Sky Sky cameras, like sticking cameras and microphones into crying kids' faces, crying adults' faces. It, Relegation and promotion, I get doing that. But when you've just lost your club, as I said, for, for some people, that's life-changing when you lose your football club. I thought, I, I thought Ryan will tell you, the, the night that Cholton, I'll admit it happily on this podcast, the night Cholton got relegated from the Championship when we were under Matt Southall, I genuinely thought my football club was gone. I had a conversation with Ryan on WhatsApp um, and I was in tears. So because I thought if we're, we're going down, Southall doesn't want us. We've got court cases to decide who's basically going to end us. And the thought of losing my football club was really not good to me. <laughs> so those poor Berry fans, it was horrible. And Sky Sports were almost willing it on. And that's, as Ryan said, it's disgusting. And I don't think, um, I don't think that helps because then the outlook, is the casual viewer the right word to the casual viewer? It didn't look like as bad as it was. It seemed like, oh, you know, Berry and Bolton have made some mistakes. Whoopsie. They're going out of... That wasn't what happened. The EFL... The EF, one of the EFL things that I think, and I'm sure Ryan will agree with this, should do, EFL should have something in place that when you take over a club, you have to deposit a certain amount of money. So say Ryan goes tomorrow and buys... Ryan, what club do you want? My club. Who would I like to buy? Uh, I'll buy Preston. Go on. Ryan's brought Preston. <laughs> you have a secret love for Preston. I do. So buy Preston. The EFL will say to Ryan, right, Ryan, you have to give us uh, £5 million. We're going to keep this. And if at any point in your spell at Preston, you turn this club into a situation that you're running out of money, we will control Preston with that money and while well, you look for a new buyer. Or something along those lines. Does that make sense? Yeah. But apparently not. Apparently that's too simple. It's far too simple. 
But this is the problem with football. Football is, as a fan, it's an escape. It's escapism. You go to watch football to get away from your problems, to not have to deal with the stress, to teach your kids something. But that's just at a fan level. There's so many levels in football now because football to fans is a community thing. It's a passion. It's something you believe in, you love. Football clubs, just like like players, they used to be fans that were honoured to be privileged enough to represent their club. And then they became athletes because it became a professional sport as such. So then the players are seen as athletes and not football players anymore. And then those players are seen by their clubs, not only as athletes, but as saleable commodities. And then you've got the clubs that are seen as businesses, not community calls to gather around like fans used to do. They are are highly profitable, sometimes multi-billion dollar corporations. And then you've got broadcasters that see it not as a sport done by athletes, supported by fans, but it's entertainment. They're entertaining the masses on TV at home. So football is no longer a sport. It's not only no longer a business, it's an entertainment business. And that's why people talk about the amount of money that football players at the highest level get. It's not because they're being paid as athletes, because they're not. They're being paid as entertainers. Say, for example, someone like Julia Roberts, I think she got something like 15 million, uh, 15 million quid, 15 million dollars, whatever it was, for doing Notting Hill, because she was one of the most famous actors in the world. She was one of the most famous entertainers in the world. That is what football players are now. They are essentially actors on a TV show, fulfilling childhood dreams for most of us. I mean, I tried to make it as a football player. I was nowhere near good enough. Um, when they found out I had a very small heart defect, that was my excuse I used for years so that I could get away from avoiding the fact that I was just crap. So the problem is now there is no reasonable bridge between the people who see it as entertainment and the fans who see it as something they love. So Sky Sports will always have an influence in one way or another over the EFL, over the Premier League, for as long as they invest money in it and as long as they report on what they want to report on and not what the actual story is. So in answer to your question, yes, they have a direct and indirect responsibility as to what happens. So I get asked often, by my friends, people I speak to, why do I pay attention to non-league football? Why do I get involved with football at a grassroots level? And it's exactly what Ryan's just said. Again, I'll go into private life and stuff a little bit. For someone with anxiety, like myself, it's very difficult to be out in the community. Simple as that. I don't like being out in the community. But being able to go out at football with people that I don't know. I don't know. You know, when I joined Let Us Talk, I knew two of the 
20-man team. But being able to go out with those lot, just, you know, football, have maybe a beer afterwards or something, whatever, it's just a nice feeling. You can just relax. And, and as you rightly said, it's, you know, for those for the fans and for the players at that level, it, it's, it's a hobby. It's not their job. It's not a business model for them because they're not making money playing for these Sunday teams. So it changes the way it's looked upon. It's so much nicer to be around. It's exactly the same reason why even at like Welling United, who are our local team at their level, players can survive off that money. They're on, don't be confused, they're still on, you know, two, three grand a month, which is still good money compared to what the average person will own. But even just going to those games, you can feel the community difference Everyone there knows each other. And it's just a nice atmosphere where even when I go to Cholton, you, <laughs> the players come and go, blah, 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 blah. It's just a different feel. The atmosphere is so different. As Ryan said, it, it comes to a point where it's all about business. That What my opinion about the current Cholton manager, Cholton owner, I think he owns the club because he thinks it will look good on his resume. Nothing to do with being a successful owner. And I don't think there's many owners nowadays who are at a football club to make that football club better as their priorities. Does that make sense? Yeah, the Glazers are the prime example. They bought the club with money they didn't have. They leveraged it, made money off of it. And once they've cleared the debt and made as much money or Man United doesn't become as profitable as it once was, they'll sell it. Burnley, you brought up Burnley's takeover. And if I'm right, did they not like, they bought Burnley for whatever the price was, but they only paid one million of their own money and the rest was loaned. Yeah, they've done exactly the same as what the Glazers did. As I said earlier, they've done exactly the same thing. That's mental. How can I, I know this is the Premier League, not the EFL, but how, how is that acceptable? How's the Premier League gone? Yeah. You, again, as I said about when Ryan Bryce Preston in his, his little world, how can you justify that? Oh, well, I'm going to give you this, this bit of money and then I'm going to borrow the rest. How does that make you feel confident that you'll be able to look after this club in 10 years' time? As long as they've got the finances to do it, it'll get passed. This is where the EFL and the Premier League fail because at the end of the day, clubs are being bought without money exchanging hands, in essence, because they're remortgaging it to buy it. So, well, do you know how much Cholton was sold for? How much our current owner paid Roland Duchatelet for Cholton Athletic? It's going to be peanuts, isn't it? It's going to be like a pound or something silly like that, isn't it? Pound. Because Chelsea, it happened to Chelsea as well. Who was it after Matthew Harding sadly passed away? Ken Bates? No. I think it was Ken Bates. He sold it for a quid. Probably. But or it I mean. got sold to Ken Bates for a quid, one of the two. So Roland Duchatelet's thing was, I'll sell Charlton Athletic for a pound. What you have to pay me for is the valley and the training ground. So what our current owner's done is he's bought Charlton. He owns Charlton. He pays rent to Roland Duchatelet for the training ground and the valley. So Roland is still technically in charge of our ground and our training facility. So there seems to be a deal in place that Sangard apparently there is a deal that in two years' time, if all the payments are made correctly, he can buy it for a set fee. 
And if, if I remember it. rightly, this is also the problem that Coventry City had. Mm. They sold mm. their stadium to someone. London Wasps. I think the company who owned it was called Sisu. Yep. I think it was Bang. called. Exactly right. Yep. And then they ended up getting locked out of, I can't remember the name of the ground now. Rico Arena. Right. It, the, that's what it's called now. Wasn't what it was called when, at the time when I remember it, but okay. That's they're back now. now. But they were ended up being locked out of the stadium because they were having financial problems and they couldn't pay the rent. So this is and what it, this is it was what sold happens. to London Wasps, wasn't it? And London Wasps now own it, but have let them come back. It's there is so much wrong with the financial side of football these days. If you ask me, I don't think clubs should be allowed to sell their stadiums to their owners. It should be and always remain part of the club. Again, taking this off tangent, and we will stop soon. We've been going a while, but take us off on a different tangent, and I'll keep it short. This is why I'm concerned. Charlton fans will say not to be concerned about our current owner. But I've been through now three different owners that have all treated our club in a negative manner and have almost put us in trouble, being Matt Southall, Ron de Chatelet, and oh, I can't remember Jimenez's first name. Slater and Jimenez, who used to be involved at Newcastle. They all put the club in trouble. We've got a man who, in fairness to him, has come and spent some money on the playing squad. We have had, we have signed players. Trucks and EK is coming for 300k six months after we let him go for free, but that's a separate matter. We've spent money under his leadership. However, the bit that concerns me is when he took over the club, he basically took over the club with money that I've got in my wallet right now. Most listeners will probably have a pound in their wallet right now. That's how much he bought the club. And because the EFL haven't got something in place where you have to prove that you have money to buy the club, you don't, you don't know what's going to happen. He has this rent with Roland that he pays Roland monthly. And then after three scenes or whatever it is, there's an option for him to buy it. But who says in three years' time he's still interested, still playing Roland the right money? Because if he stops paying Roland, Roland say now if you fuck. Like it's you're in an awkward position. And because of it's all going back to the EFL argument again, but it's because they have no power, they have no well, I don't even know no power, right? They don't use their power correctly, they don't bother to actually care as long as they're receiving what they want. You've left you've just got vulnerable clubs everywhere. Like, do you remember when we came out of COVID? There was something silly, like 26 EFL clubs are in danger of entering administration. Yeah, and if I remember rightly, didn't they have to get some sort of solidarity payment from the Premier from the League? Premier. Yeah, they asked for about 70 million. In exchange for was it TV rights or something. Yeah, um, they did a deal. I don't know what it, the deal it, was. It was a really dodgy deal that shouldn't have needed to be done because... In my opinion, the FA should have stepped in. It shouldn't have been to yeah, do exactly. with the Premier League. Again, this is why everything should be under one roof. Because at the end of the day, ultimately, every club in this country answers to the FA in some form or another. So mm. with the amount of money that the FA gets, and they're supposed to be responsible for grassroots, and grassroots in this country, not in my opinion, not getting anywhere close to the funding that it should. That but this is the thing that makes me laugh, as I'm sure you're about to say. How comes the FA get all this money? They don't have to pay out to the Premier League, the, the Football League. But where the fuck's the money going? 
because they pay in stupid people like Fabio Capello, something like 10 million quid just to piss off. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I know I made the argument earlier that footballers and football managers and whatnot are essentially entertainers now. And they that's why they get paid this much money. For me personally, I know it's not probably legally possible, but there needs to be a cap on the amount of money earning because it's like buying a house now. Most people in England cannot afford to buy a house. I've got two friends who live together, earn 46 grand a year between them, but that's still not enough for a mortgage because we've got an open market. So as long as someone values their property uh, more than it's actually worth, they'll never be able to afford to get their own house. And it's exactly the same principle with football. It's a free market. People are allowed to earn whatever they want and they earn according to the amount of talent that they have. But unless someone puts a cap on that and says, right, it stops, money will just continue to hemorrhage out of football time after time. And my biggest worry for Charlton, and please don't kill me for saying this, that because they don't own their ground, because they don't own their training ground and everything else, at the end of the day, Charlton are only as valuable as their playing squad. So when the shit hits the fan like it did last time, Charlton will ever only be worth a quid. And I can't imagine what that must feel like to a Charlton fan because it's a disgrace. No, but that that's exactly that's exactly what the problem is. Is you know football clubs to these fans are invaluable. There isn't a cash you can't put a money name on it. And you're completely right. Without the training ground, you're looking at the assets on the pitch, and that's all you've got left. And, and unfortunately, in a position such as Charlton's, you're not looking at getting a. 126 million for a Philippe Coutinho. No, you sell our squad, you probably make three million as a collective. Who would be your most valued player, do you think? If probably. your whole squad was up for sale right now, who would be your most valued player and how much do you think you'd get for him? Probably Deji. And how much do you reckon you'd get for him? A million. A million, two million, most. I don't see it because he's a young project, which means you'll probably. Look at it. So when we sold Lookman, he's not a Lookman talent. Lookman was 11 million. Yeah, we're looking at Carl Esri Concer, really, aren't Esri we? Esri Concer was 2.5 ish. So, you know, one, one and a half, because I don't think he was where Con- Esri was at that age. So maybe one, one and a half. And then the rest of the squad after that, who's our most valuable player? I guess you could say Chucks, because we just know how much we just paid for him. <laughs> so he's worth about 300k and then after that because you know it's young players are kind of the ones that make you the money for for football league clubs it's your young players that make you the money no one's signing a 28 year old who plays for Charlton for more than about 400k the way that these clubs make money is by having even if you fluke you know you for perfect example Jordan Ibe at Wickham Charlton released him as a 16 year old Wickham signed him then they sold him to big money for Liverpool. Well done to Wickham, because that's that's how you make money. That's that's all the clubs are worth at that level. And that's how Charlton have done it as well through, throughout mm-hmm. the years, from Lee Bowyer, Concer, Paul Koncheski. Lutman, Gomez, yeah. Parker. I, even though I am a Man United fan, I do have a soft spot for Charlton because I've actually been to more Charlton games than I've been to Manchester United games. I don't want to see Charlton continue in the vein that they are. 
So I, shall we knock the football finance on the head now? I think we've both had a good yeah. run. And we'll, we'll switch it to the Premier League for a minute because there's been a lot of problems coming in and out of Chelsea. We, we've spoken about what happened with Romelu Lukaku and Thomas Tuchel seems to be under a bit of pressure at the moment because Chelsea is starting to slide very slowly down the table. Uh, Lukaku seems to be dragging them down with him, despite Pete claiming at the beginning of the season that Lukaku was going to be the one to push Chelsea up the table. They're now slowly going back down it. So, Dan, what do you think? How long has Tuchel got left? Uh, I think he's in big problems. Re- remember, on, this is Chelsea. I said Lukaku is a smart man. Do you remember I said Lukaku is a, a smart man and he probably came out with this nonsense to try and get Tuchel to fuck off. Yep. From that day, I thought Tuchel's on tender hooks because there's been a lot of managers that have fallen out with the players and then not long after have been shuffled. So Chelsea played Liverpool about two weeks ago. Three weeks ago, they drew 2-2. Just after the Lukaku allegations, whatever you want to call them, where he talked about Tuchel and all that nonsense. And they had a really good performance in the second half, which kind of showed that the team were behind them. However, since then, they have scraped past Tottenham twice. They were outplayed by Man City last weekend. And Tuesday night, just about drew with Brighton. They have Tottenham, I think it's Palace and Liverpool in their next three games. If Tuchel doesn't win them all, he's sacked. Is that going to be a mistake, though? Because he's got them to three finals in his first year in charge. He's won them the Champions League. They're on course for, is it the Carabao Cup? They're in the final with Liverpool. I don't think they're going to win it personally. I think Liverpool are going to do them. But the, the, the problem for him, and it's a problem, as you said, it's Chelsea. Especially at Chelsea, but it's all over football. If the players don't perform, it always falls on the manager. So the fact that Lukaku has four in 15, I thought Lukaku was going to score for fun this year. I was with Pete. He's got four in 15. Timo Werner couldn't hit a cow bum with a banjo. Kai Havertz has forgot how to play football. They're actually most exciting player for me. I love watching Hakim Ziyech. Can't get a start and can't start because him and Tuchel don't get along. Chelsea need results to keep Thomas Tuchel in a job. If they don't get the results, and especially for Chelsea, as we've always seen, they are they if they don't win the title, they lose their job as Chelsea manager. I don't think it'll be the end of the world if Thomas Tuchel loses his job because Chelsea do seem to replace nine times out of ten. They have a, they're like stop. I don't even know what the word to produce them. They they have good part time managers because <laughs> when they change their manager, they win something. To be fair, they do have a history with it. Roberto Di Matteo did it, and Rafa Benitez did it. And if Rafa uh, Benitez can do it, Chris Hiddink did it as well, didn't he? Go back. A yes, bit he did. Yeah, they they do yeah. have. Natushul good... done it last year with the Champions League. Their only thing would be who's next. Well, that's the thing. I don't know if you feel this way, but just looking at the lack of managers around now. That's the thing. Who'd you turn to? Is it me or does there just feel like a real lack of top quality managers now? Yeah, I mean, again, I'd argue, this is probably the wrong use of the word, but I'd say my knowledge of football is championship-based. So if you said, give me some names for a championship job, I could do it. 
I don't feel like there's many managers that I can say, yeah, they'll be good at Chelsea or they'll be good at Man United. The one I'd be interested to see at Chelsea, but I don't think he'd be given the time, would be Brendan Rodgers. I think the other problem is, is Chelsea have been through most of them. <laughs> literally. Because literally every time something hot came along, it was like they had Jose Mourinho when he was hot for the first time. Then oh, no. Andre Villas-Boas uh, came around as, as being the next Jose Mourinho and he shat the bed. They signed Maurizio Sarri. They've had Conte for a year. Or, Sarri got fired. Conte, they've had Hiddink. Was, was Ancelotti there? Did yeah, they sign Ancelotti? The, Ancelotti won the league and got sacked. With Chelsea? Yeah. I can't remember him being Chelsea manager. That's because he got sacked after winning the league. Why can't I remember him being Chelsea manager? He was there, oh, I don't know. Like, Let me check. I reckon he was there a year. Yeah, I think he might have been there one year, won the league, and they fucked him up. I remember I him being Real Madrid day. manager. I can't remember him being Chelsea it manager. It was before. But... But they, been, Chelsea seem to have gone for them all. I mean, personally, if Thomas Tuchel gets fired, roll him up at Old Trafford. We'll have him. Definitely. One thing I do think is that the situation with Lukaku, me and Pete have had words about this on the pod several times, about how Man United didn't want Lukaku and how they didn't look after him properly and blah de blah de blah I think this just proves that Lukaku has got a highly unprofessional side that he will down yes. tools the minute it hasn't gone his way. And Pete criticised Man United for playing a player who was massively overweight. But if my argument is, and I think Lukaku's behaviour at Chelsea has now backed this up, is you can employ all the dietitians and chefs and nutritionists in the world and give them everything they want and that their body should have. But if they then go home and stuff themselves or decide not to stick to their regime and decide to put on more muscle mass because they think it will make them stronger and then it backfires and it all turns to fat like it did in Lukaku's case, there's, there's no blame there for the club. It's just unprofessionalism from the player. It was like, uh, and you remember Anderson, the Brazilian who used to play for Manchester United. Fat man. I heard an uh, an interview with Nani, who was there at the same time. And Nani said, to, and this is like near enough, almost word for word. It was like, Anderson would have been one of the best players in the world if he'd just been a bit more professional and look after himself properly because we couldn't keep him out of McDonald's. Every time <laughs> they would drive past on the coach on, on the way back from a game, he'd be like, stop the coach, stop the coach. There's a McDonald's, there's a McDonald's. He was so unhealthy. That it was just like it was like Nani was like he would have been a fantastic player if he'd just been a bit more professional. Bless him. So uh, I think Lukaku, I think we've seen the unprofessional side of Lukaku now. But do you think it will I, cost Tuchel his job? I mean, as I said, I, I think it's down to the next couple of results, but I think Chelsea are playing terrible, aren't they? Their their football screen. To be fair, they've got a fair amount of injuries. They've got no fullbacks. Alonso, Aspilicueta's legs have long gone. As, as, as a fantastic a servant as he's been, but he's, he's long gone. Alonso's only good going forwards. And then he's got out of form Lukaku and a, a Werner to supply that can't it. <laughs> just a Werner. I'll just leave it there. And a Werner. Couldn't, couldn't hit the moon with a rocket. Let's be honest. 
Chelsea's next managerial awards online. The favourite is Diego Simeone. He's not going to leave Atletico. I don't think he'd take it either because the chances of Chelsea giving him time to build just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen, does it? It doesn't happen with um, anyone. doesn't matter who they I, are. You made the perfect part, actually. Everyone, Chelsea have had everyone. They've even had their own in Frank Lampard and buggered him off after a year. The next one's going to be John Terry, isn't it? They should have had him in the first place. It's going to be John Terry. If Tuchel goes, it's going to be John Terry, isn't it? He's not in a job at the moment. He's a Chelsea player. Macaulay's at Chelsea. I know he's at the Valley. If I remember rightly, I think he's like the loan manager. Or he's the loan manager Chelsea. because he sat in front of me at the other week and watched Billy Gilmore. Um, Whoever was there for Man United wouldn't have been proud of what they saw against Brett from from Brandon Williams up against the League One. Went uh, well, I wouldn't even call him. He plays in League One. Brandon Williams got rinsed by our worst player multiple times. That's concerning. So, kind of come to a close. But before I do. I asked for questions on our Facebook page and I got two questions from same two, two of my friends who are in uh, my inner circle and they asked me questions related to our group. So I'm just going to pop them in quite simple answers. Anthony, my friend Anthony, said, why is Bradley Pritchard the greatest midfielder ever? Because you drink too much. Luke, why did Cholton not sign Jordan Pataka when we could have won taken us to the Premier League? You drink too much. That's your answers. Move on with boys. If, when you listen to this, you'll be proud. You need to stop, get off the alcohol and ask some normal football questions. Um, there's no shit house this week because, quite frankly, I haven't looked because I've been coming home from work and going to bed. But, Ryan, have you seen anything funny coming out of the mouth of any pundits? I did hear Gabby Abonglahor say that Paul Pogba was underappreciated by Manchester United fans and fell off my sofa laughing. <laughs> of course it did. <laughs> so it's Gabby Abonglahor. There you go. Poor Gabby. Well, I'll say poor Gabby. He's from Birmingham, so I'm not really surprised. But he was also <laughs> shit, let's be honest. I mean, he was a pace merchant, wasn't he? He was. Well, it's rather ironic, actually, because I was just mentioned about Romelu Lukaku bulking up to make himself stronger. That's exactly what Gabby Abonglahor did. Because one pre-season, he came back. He was this young lad and he was quick as a whippet. He was really fast. And then one season, he came back and he was built like a wardrobe, like enormous and he was like trying to hold the ball up and he completely changed his style of play and from that moment on he was shit as much as I slag him off and to be fair he didn't play that much of a team and Aston Villa team that he was part of is one of my favourite Villa teams to watch which part which part of it was that the bench when they had Agbong Lahore John Carew Ashley Young Stuart Downing James Milner Gareth Barry I loved that Villa team that was a very ridiculously talented midfield. That really was. Loved watching that Villa team. How they squeezed the, them all in, I've no idea. Well, they just moved James Milner into central midfield with Gareth Barry and said, well, the rest of you just do whatever the fuck you want because these two have got you covered. Their only problem was when John Carew got injured, they brought in Marlon Harewood and it all went to shit. Well, they had Gabby Abonglahor to bring in someone. That squad had Stylian Petrov pre-illness what a baller amazing player Steve Sidwell who I thought was good just wasn't as Chelsea level good actually before we do go I wanted your opinion Christian Eriksen is rumoured to be returning to England to resume his career at Burnley now I'm personally of the opinion that Christian Eriksen shouldn't be anywhere near a football pitch. 
what happened to him was horrific. We all saw it, unfortunately. And if they, they, he's not even allowed to play in Italy. They had to release him through his contract in the Milan because he's got a pacemaker feared and you're not allowed to play football with one in Italy. My personal opinion is stay home with your family. You've earned a lot of money. Just look after yourself. Don't Football doesn't matter anymore. What's your opinion on him returning to football? So for me, Chris, it's interesting because I would say, for the same point you had, look, before we all saw what happened. It's not worth it. Don't risk it. However, <laughs> I don't know. We don't know what doctors are saying to him. We don't know, you know, everything. So I can't say for certain medically, you know, there's going to be a problem again. I wouldn't risk it personally, but, and I don't know what happens. Do you know Dally Blind? Did he just collapse? Because he's got a pacemaker. I didn't even know something had happened to him. It must have been at his time at Ajax because I don't think it was, it was yeah. at Manchester United. No, it was at Ajax. So he's playing, he plays now with a pacemaker. Yes. And you can play in this country, I believe, with one. It's just Italy, for some reason, it's one of their rules. Um, but, but I mean, Christian Eriksen was so... I mean, the, the man was dead. Yeah. Dead. So... I wouldn't risk it. I don't know. If, I don't know. Did I, again? Like I can't. I don't know what happened to Dali Blind. So he might have been in the same situation. But if it, I doubt it was because it wasn't covered. I mean, the other thing is we've just seen Sergio Aguero retire with something similar. Exactly. Like you don't know when it's going to catch. If I'm Christian Eriksen, listen, you've made your mind. I get you want to play football. If you're that, if you're that bothered about playing football, play for a Sunday side. <laughs> well, that's it. And I mean, the other thing for me as well is. is one of the side effects of COVID-19 in its various forms these past two years, one side effect is blood clots. So mm. who's to say that if they're not, a lot of these players aren't vaccinated. We've talked about that previously, but what's to stop him from developing another blood clot and it kicking in when he's on the football pitch? And we've got round two, and this time he just might not be that lucky. So Dali Blind has been fitted with a defibrillator which sends electric pulse, especially those that can be dangerous and cause cardiac. So it seems like they, a bit like Sergio Aguero, it was something they found rather than an incident on the pitch. Well, that's a small mercy. So thankfully, obviously he's got his pacemaker in, but if I'm Christian Eriksen, because of what happened, I'm not going on a professional pitch, especially at a high level, because he wants to play in the World Cup in Qatar, doesn't he? That's the reason he said he wants to come back. He wants to be in the World Cup squad. Leave it alone, mate. Just stay home with your wife. <laughs> and if you've got kids, just I think he has, be yeah, there just, for them. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. Um, I, at first, I was a bit like, I mean, selfishly, I'd love to watch him play football again. Because I thought he was brilliant. However, it's as you said, it, it's not worth risking your life for. You've got your money. You've got your wife. You've got, you, you've got your life. And I know football was his life. But... Come on, continue to have life rather than continue to have football. For me, I, I don't think I wouldn't. I don't, I don't think it's a choice. But if it's what he wants to do, it's up to him. But it's not something that I would end on. I would do. Sorry, because of that risk. The risk is too big, isn't it? The risk versus the reward. Absolutely, it's just it's just not worth it. And on that note, if you want to end on a positive, Norwich are playing Watford, and that's going to cheer everyone up because everyone will be miserable watching that. Because big game, good. though. Big game. <laughs> 
<laughs> Norwich have had eight. Uh, sorry, Watford have had eighty percent possession at half time. <laughs> Dean Smith is not doing a good job at Norwich. I'll it's say nil, that right nil. now. Yeah, <laughs> not set the world on fire, and that's a potentially even more dangerous result for Newcastle as well. Because whatever, whoever wins that game, is is bad news for Newcastle. Yep. Right, that's it for episode uh, whatever we're on twenty nine, I believe. It's a long one. A lot of topics. I got salty this week. Ryan avoided the salt. I wouldn't say it was salty. It was impassioned. All right, impassioned. I'd go salty, but you know. But thank you for listening, of course. We've already covered and we'll cover it once more. The Proper Bloke Club, Walking for Mental Health. Go on their website, Ryan, which is? www.properblokesclub.co.uk They have walks going all around the country now. And as I said, I, we will pop their GoFundMe on our social media channel so you can put some money towards the man who's walking 15 marathons in 28 days. The poor fella. And of course, let us talk in our upcoming games. You can head over to Twitter and find us at, at you can head over to Twitter and follow us at, at let us talk underscore MH for mental health. Uh, find us and follow us and look out for anything that Jamie decides to put up on social media. Thank you for joining me, Ryan. Thank you. And a special thank you to our question from Twitter. Yes, Miss, Ar- Miss Annie herself. And mm. and Ryan and even Luke and Anthony who offered me or asked me stupid Charlton questions. So thank you everyone. Next week Pete should be back with us as long as we're all not busy as hell again. Thank you very much and see you soon. Ta ta.